Years ago, research conducted on fishing communities in Indonesia sought to determine the reason that any one fishing expedition would come to a close. The answer became clear when speaking with the fishermen themselves. We come back when the boat is full of fins, or when we run out of cigarettes. These days we always run out of cigarettes first. At the beginning of the 21st century, Indonesia was the world's leading shark producer. Their fins became the prize, their status and the laws protecting them became insignificant hurdles, and their decline became imminent. I was brought to Indonesia to document this trade. I saw dead sharks in piles, some of them bigger than any shark I've ever seen in the wild. Some species I've only seen in books. At that moment, I began to think of how I could possibly work my way into this issue to effectively create change as an individual. It wasn't until a year later I would return with a very different intention. I originally travelled to this market to expose the shark trade and the men at its heart. I went back to offer those men a job. Project Hiu, Hiu being the Indonesian word for shark, is an initiative which aims to provide alternative income to fishermen in one of the largest shark fisheries in Indonesia and the world. By hiring the shark fishing boats and locals that man them, we sought to engage the fishermen in a very different role. Tourism, a natural alternative income that simultaneously and effectively protects sharks. Project Hiu is founded on the recognition that the very solution to saving sharks lay with the men raised to kill them. The goal of Project Hiu is to improve conditions above and below the surface and enforce the idea that one person and one shark fisherman can make a difference. Fellow podcaster Jules, who plans to come on a trip with me one day, is going to be the person interviewing me today to facilitate this conversation about Project Hiu. Please remember to visit the website, donate, help us spread the word, or find out more what you can do to help sharks. And when this podcast is released, I encourage you to share it to your story, tag Project Hiu and three other people that need to hear this podcast, and the winner will be sent one of our sick whale shark t-shirts. And to my listeners and everybody that has supported Project Hiu so far, thank you for tuning in and hearing our story. girl welcome to uh your own podcast oh it's a, it's a pleasure to be here <laughs> <laughs> congratulations by the way on launching your new show how does that feel to be uh, a world-renowned podcaster now oh damn it feels so weird like people don't usually listen to me in real life and the thought of them going to the internet and downloading me to intentionally listen to me is just so it's such a strange concept but i'm really excited and it's really cool. And thank you for forcing me to get a podcast because I would have never have done it without your motivation. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's a team effort, man. I've had such a pleasure to like help you produce your show. It sounds amazing. By the way, I, I want to start with this question. What's your favorite episode that you've done so far on Shark Stories? If you have one, I know it's a hard question, but. That's such a good question. Actually, my favorite one is the one that I did with Ashley um, about the laws in Australia, purely because 
there's so much information in there that a lot of shark people don't know and because it's a really interesting conversation and I learned a lot and that, that's my favorite one. She's awesome. She's so cute to listen to. Like she's, she's adorable. You know when she said she mentioned sh- something about white sharks are the only one that kind of swim with their mouths open? Yeah. They look like they're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> she's brilliant. <laughs> Um, so, okay, this is, I know we're going to speak about mainly Project U today. I have like so many questions for you and some people from your Instagram, some of your followers have questions for you as well. But before I get into it, this is a personal question I have, which is what would be one of your favorite shark stories? Now it doesn't have to be related to your podcast. It can be any stories related to sharks, but what is your favorite shark story? Um, that's a really good question. Oh my goodness. I Oh, wow. Hmm. I think I already know the answer, but maybe it's just me being arrogant. <laughs> no, tell me, tell me what you think. Well, whatever is behind you right now on your wall. Oh. Dun-na, dun-na. <laughs> I thought you meant real stories. If we're not talking about reality, then absolutely jaws. And and of course, it is a real story, right? The attacks that inspired Jaws, I think that's really, really fascinating as well. Um, actually, no, you've reminded me what my actual favorite story is. So Peter Benchley, he is the gentleman that wrote Jaws, and it was then turned into a movie. And a lot of people don't realize this when they're watching the movie, but he does this sneaky little cameo in the movie. He's actually the reporter on the beach. So Peter Benchley was an amazing author and he came to regret how much damage Jaws did on shark species. And one day when he was diving in the Cocos Islands, he came across a pile of dead sharks that had just been finned. And he then said like that was a really life-changing moment for him. And he said at that time, if I rewrote Jaws today, the shark could not be the villain. And I remember reading that and just thinking, what a turnaround, you know, like that's, that's amazing. So even the man who created Jaws has come to see sharks as the victim and not the villain. Wow. I had no idea about that story. I literally thought that Jaws was just, you know, coming from Hollywood, whatever, just another script that was taken. That's it. I didn't know. Okay. So Project Q, tell me what is Project Q and how, how does it operate? How are you able to save sharks and improve human lives at the same time? Right. So we're here to talk about Project Here, which is awesome because it is what I'm doing that's getting the most attention right now. Uh, What fascinated me the most with Project Here is how much people gravitate towards the application of compassion as opposed to hatred in conservation. So it's really grabbing people's attention because issues aren't often tackled with this much compassion for the very people causing them. So I really, really love it. It's been amazing. It's taken off. The way it works essentially is that we hire boats that would be fishing sharks at sea and we use them in tourism instead. So we've got the same boats, the same crew that go offshore to fish sharks and instead we pay them to take people snorkeling, surfing, swimming, whatever they want to do. How many fishermen do you currently employ? I currently have a total of 30 fishermen um, and like pretty much full-time employee, just five. So it's still quite a small scale operation. Um, You think about there's like about five or six per boat. So it's still quite small scale. And 
one of my conditions, obviously, when we hire the boats is that all the crew have to be present because they could run these trips with just like two people. But I want everyone to be there so that I know that nobody else is going out and fishing sharks. So I'm hoping to grow that number. But um, it's also interesting because you say like we employ 30 men, but then behind each one of those men is, is a family and children. So it's actually a large number of people that are now coming to depend off the project. How, okay, first of all, how this came about and how did you get these men to actually want to work with you, this foreign girl that, you know, doesn't even speak the language? Like, how did, how did that happen? Super interesting. Okay, so first thing you need to know about me is that I am a planner and I like to plan things and I like to be pedantic about planning things. And Project Here was the first thing that I just kind of, I'm just going to wing it. You know, let's just wing it. Like, I, I named it Project Hiu. He is Indonesian for shark, so it's called Project Shark. That's, like, the least inventive name on the planet. But it took me, like, a minute to think of the name because I was so sure that it wouldn't go anywhere. That's how little <laughs> faith I had in my project. Yeah, there's full disclosure. Um, and it all started because a few years ago I was part of a film called Blue. And um, Blue screened in cinemas in Australia, and it was a feature-length film about the state of our oceans. And for the first segment of Blue that I was in, They took me to a place in Indonesia, which is considered one of the largest shark fishing markets in Indo. So they took me there and they filmed me at the market with all the dead sharks and we kind of made the film and left. And that was the first time that I had ever been to Indonesia. And I ended up like really loving the place and thinking it was pretty amazing, but saw all this like horrible shark stuff there. And When we left, I did have this kind of weird feeling that I hadn't really connected with any of the locals, that I was about to expose what they were doing, but I wasn't offering a solution. So that feeling kind of stuck with me for a little while, and I just kind of ignored it and brushed it off because, you know, like, what's one person going to be able to do? And then a few years later when Blue had come out, I was in Maui for the, a film festival, like a whale film festival, which is pretty funny because I don't usually go to events for whales because – You know, they're whales, not sharks. So they're not as cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there were all these amazing films being screened at the film festival. And one of them focused on a group of fishermen in Mexico that had completely refitted their boats and changed their occupation from fishing sharks to whale watching. And they had done so with the intention of taking tourists out to the new population of whales that was passing their beaches. And this sparked an idea in my head what if I could do the same thing in Lombok? So from then on, the planning process began. It was the same year that I won um, Australian Geographics, so like Australia's version of National Geographic. I won their Young Conservationist Award. So I thought I'd use that to my advantage and apply for a grant. So I applied for a grant to be able to go back there with a small team and do this, and I got like half of the grant money that I was asking for but was still able to go back and do it. And me and a small group of people, you know, like filmmakers, marine biologists, but the number one person that really made this happen was this random guy from China who hit me up on Instagram and he was like, hey, I want to help. So he met me in Lombok and he joined in on the trip. His name's Mark and Mark is a bloody legend because, like you said, you're a young girl in a fishing community and a foreigner. Nobody really cares about you. But if you're like Chinese and you're kind of dorky and you're wearing a long sleeve rashy snorkeling in the water, which he does, no offense, Mark, you know, he looks like a full kook tourist. And the Indonesians know that Chinese people have money because a lot of their bosses are Chinese. So he was instrumental in helping me start it because he was able to 
begin communicating with the fishermen and offer them money for something else. So it started with us going to the market and seeing a boat unloading sharks, hundreds of sharks, big sharks. There was two boats there and I saw the captain sitting at the front of the boat and I knew he was the captain because he was just a little bit more dressed nicer and just like a little, he wasn't working, he was overseeing. So I went up to him, talked to him, he kind of brushed me off. Then Mark went up to him, talked to him and eventually we were both talking to him and it was basically me being like, can you take me surfing next week instead of fishing? And that man, that very captain, now has a daughter just a little over one year old and she's named after me and he is the head of Project Hughes Fleet. Wow. Yeah. So what was your first interaction with him? Like, by the way, what's his name? His name is Odie. Um, My first interaction with him was pretty funny because I told him I was like a professional surfer, which is (laughs) so far from the truth. Um, I just wanted to be someone else for a day. And... (laughs) He, 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 I was like, yeah, take me to some cool local waves and blah, blah, blah. He was so hesitant at first, and a lot of them are, because these fishermen are very aware that the laws around what they're doing is becoming stricter, and that's because more and more people are exposing what they're doing. So people go there, film, and leave, and they know that. So he was very hesitant. He didn't want me touching any of his catch. He didn't want me filming it. He didn't really want to engage in conversation with me. And it took a little bit of time for me to earn trust from him to be able to do what we're doing now. Oh, man. So, okay. What you are doing now, what happens? Tell me about the ecosystem or ecosystem of Project Q. Like what happens when somebody purchases a trip or um, a product? What, what happens? Where does that money go? Yeah, I really um, wish more people would ask these questions to all uh, like places that they put their money because it's a great question and I love being able to be really transparent with Project Here. So on our website, we've got a lot of merch and my amazing business partner in this is a very young guy who just basically graduated business and just knows his stuff so well and he's been able to help me kind of set it up in a way that I would never be able to on my own because I still have a Hotmail account, right? So he's like made us. Hey, I didn't. I didn't want to say anything, but since you're bringing it up, yeah. Well, Gmail scares me. I don't know how to use it. So I'll I'll teach you. I'll I'll teach you, girl. I got you. (laughs) Okay, that'd be great. So he set up our website and the merch, and 100% of the profits go into the project. He doesn't get paid. I don't get paid. So anytime you're buying something, you're truly supporting what we're doing. And then when you book onto a trip, the money that you're giving um, goes to pay for your hotel, your food. But most of all, the majority of the money that you're putting in goes to hiring the boats, which is the biggest cost. And that is the most important part. And then you are basically bearing witness to the boats being kept in and not going fishing for that entire month when you're on a trip. And There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't seem to realize as well. It's not just hiring the boats. I have to keep the community happy. You know, I have to pay for licenses. So what we're doing is illegal. I have to pay for safety equipment. I have to get things for the schools. I have to pay for English teachers. I have to facilitate a lot of calculated contributions to the community so that I can continue to push back on the shark fin trade. So when you're buying merchandise or a trip, you're not only keeping boats out of the water, but you're keeping me and the fishermen that work for me safe by supporting everything else we do that allows us to be there, that allows us to be tolerated while we put forward this idea of tourism instead of fishing. You've got to remember when we're dealing with the shark fin trade, 
Like we're messing with a lot of money and a lot of people's livelihoods. So yeah, we got to tread lightly. Is that why you brought in so many other initiative for, for these people other than just the tourism, right? Because you're, you're teaching English basically to the children over there. You're bringing in, I think, sanitation, sanitation um, initiatives as well. Like, is that why you just added all this? I call it an ecosystem because I don't know what else to call it, really. It's not, it's not just one thing. You're saving uh, sharks at the same time, but you're also improving the livelihoods of these villagers. Yeah, no, totally. Ecosystem is right. And isn't it strange? I went into this project caring only about sharks and I've set it up by caring about people. And that's the amazing thing. Like it's still about sharks for me, but my way to sharks is through the community. And the best way to explain this is through a story. So I was at the market one day, um, just me and two other people went before a trip and there was a thresher shark on the floor and they get real sketchy about you taking images of some of the more kind of endangered scale species so I wasn't taking any photos I was looking at it this one shark fin buyer from Java came up and he shoved me off the floor quite aggressively like pushed me physically off the floor and I kind of stood my ground and then he pushed my friend off the floor as well and I just turned to him and said don't touch me really loud but then I went back and I sat down and I watched the whole auction and I stayed there and I just stayed there and sat there and just basically maintained my presence there. I wasn't going to leave just because of him, but I also wasn't going to push it. So sat there and watched and then feeling pretty shaken, went home um, and then told my boys what had happened. And about 10 shark fishermen went and had words to this guy to the point where a few days later he shook my hand and apologized. So basically I've got my own like mini gang of shark fishermen and then they had the blessing to do that from their village leader and their headmaster and their wives and those are the most important parts of this ecosystem. When I'm messing with the trade, I don't want there to be jealousy just with the fishermen I work with and the other fishermen. I don't want there to be people that don't want me there because they're not benefiting from it. So I'm trying to make sure that everybody benefits from it. So there are fishermen I can't afford to employ right now that might be getting jealous of the fishermen that work for me. And I can't help them directly just yet, but their kids go to the school that I help. So nobody wants me kicked off the island now. At first, nobody wanted me there, and now nobody wants me gone because their kids or kids that they know are benefiting from our presence. Their trash is getting collected because of us. They're getting clean water because of us. I even had two amazing people on my trip pay to have the mosque on the island finished, and religion is very important to them. So all these little contributions we make behind the scenes are basically ways of allowing ourselves to be tolerated while we're in there making change. When you say nobody wanted you there initially, what kind of pushback did you have to deal with at the time? So I used to go to the island and just people would just look at me like I shouldn't be there. And we're talking about an island with a population of about 2,000 people, this tiny island off Lombok, and that's where my fishermen live. Tourists don't go there. I'm the first tourist who have gone there. The only other people that have gone there have like installed solar panels like many years ago. So not anyone can just go there. and It's pretty special to be there. Um, and I employ this one family and there's 10 brothers in the family and I employ a bunch of them. And one of them is a shark fin buyer. So <laughs> there's all this like Jerry Springer, Indonesia edition stuff going on behind the scenes too, because it's like family dramas. But yeah, so I, 
I remember just having this weird vibe where people didn't quite know what to think of me. People thought that I was going to, like, try and shut down shark fishing for them, which is not what I've been doing. And they just weren't sure about me coming into their space, which is totally acceptable. And now I get to the island and kids come running up to me and everybody knows my name and nobody speaks English, but I'll go into random people's houses and drink coffee and it's it's like home. Yeah. That's incredible, especially if you think about, I mean, I'll speak for myself here, but if it's hard for me sometimes to have compassion for the people that will challenge my core beliefs about something, right? Because it really makes you upset. It makes you angry. You want to, I don't know, snap back at them. I can't even imagine how you feel because obviously they're killing, you know, your homies, your family, the sharks that you love so much and you spend your entire life protecting. So obviously you want to go in there and go, fuck off. How did you not do that like how did you not use anger and compassion instead how did you make the switch um i think it took many many years of practice and training and honestly like the only thing that got me through it from showing so much compassion and giving so much to people that kill sharks was because i chose to be effective instead of angry And it really is a choice, especially in so many times in conservation. Like you can give in to your emotions and that's very self-serving. Or you can be, suppress those emotions and you can be effective. And I kind of had to do that. And I was always thinking of the bigger picture. And I was always thinking, okay, I need to just earn their trust. I need to do the right thing by them. And the end result is going to be saving sharks. And it's weird because when I... When I put time and effort into painting a mural in the school or picking up trash on the beach or talking to the fishermen's wives, I always have this thing in the back of my head of being like, this is one of the many steps to help save sharks. So it all comes from the same place. It's all coming from, I want to help sharks. But it's also coming from the knowledge that you can't do that without first helping these people. So I guess it just was a case of me being able to suppress that emotion, knowing that I would get something out of it at the end. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. And those people, who, who are those people? Can you describe them to me? Like, you know, who are they? What's their living condition? What's their dreams? What's their daily lives look like? Oh, man. Um, they're all big families. They live in tiny houses. A lot of them made out of bamboo. Some of them made out of concrete. They sleep on the floor. If they're lucky, they've got a fan. Um, They have to buy their own food from the mainland. Sometimes they catch it. They have, like, a very strong connection to their Muslim culture. So the women are usually veiled or wear long-sleeve shirts and dresses, and they're very matriarchal. And the men are usually off fishing. Um, They live on this amazing island that's, like, basically a gigantic beach. and. There's sheep and goats running around the whole island and the occasional cat and kids are just running around free and it's just like this insane like tiny little village. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's really magical. And, you know, I've got I've got a fisherman that that carves little boats out of wood and they look amazing. And I've got one that's got the voice of a rock star. There's one that uh, is trying to learn English at the moment and there's one that has two sons that he provides for that they're in the military so he goes fishing so that he can pay for their uniforms and things like that 
they all have the most amazing backstories. And when you start to learn their their talents and their capabilities, you start to get even more depressed about the fact that up until now they've been fishing sharks and that their talents are wasted. Like Odie, for example, he speaks three languages. You know, I only speak English and bad English. Like he's smarter <laughs> than me. Yeah, he speaks English, he speaks Arabic, he speaks Indonesian, and there's more than one type of Indonesian, and he speaks Mandarin. Like it's it's amazing what these people are capable of and what they are. And then when I see them demonized in like people's Instagram posts or people's documentaries and like, you know, shark fishermen are assholes and blah, blah, blah. And it's all very interesting because if you were raised on this island with goats and sheep running around, you know, and your family was strongly Muslim and you didn't have English skills and you were living in a country that's overrun by foreign tourism and unless you know English and have the money to set something up and buy the licenses, you can't get in on that tourism, you'd be fishing sharks too. I'd be fishing sharks too. It's not because they want to. It's because they have to. And that is the biggest thing you learn. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I guess that was my next question. Like why, if they are this, I guess some of them are this educated or if we speak three languages, why is it that that community is stuck fishing sharks like, or, or fishing, period? Like, why can they not have access to other streams of income? Mm. So some of them do, but shark fishing is still the highest. And Odie, for example, he was in his third semester of university and his father passed away and he had to go back to fishing because no one was there to provide for his family. You know, like. That's an example. And then this is my favorite story. So we've got this one employee and we just called, we nicknamed him Mowgli because he kind of looks like Mowgli. And he's a legend. He's the best. He is my age. He has a three-year-old daughter. um, And he became a shark fisherman one day when he was 15 years old and they were giving flu vaccines at school. And he was so scared of the needle that he ran home and he never went back to school. And his only other option... (laughs) was to go into fishing because he didn't finish school. Damn, if only that would have worked for me at that time. <laughs> I had to take the damn needle. Oh, I understand. I'm afraid of needles. So I, I, I get it. I hear you. Yeah, mostly. I get it too. Yeah, if I had to choose between needles and shark fishing, I might just be out there killing some sharks too. So <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> just kidding. I'd take the needle. <laughs> People's stories like that, like that's what's so great about them. What's their average monthly income when they do fish sharks? So let's say they just do a shark fishing trip. That's their main income. Like how much can they make on average? That's a really, really good question. It took me quite a bit of time to figure this out as well. And we've only just recently like updated how much I pay them because I realized that I was actually paying them less than they could get when they were shark fishing at times. So if they do a really good trip, they can make almost 30% more than I, what I pay them. So I, I kind of called them up on this. So I was like, what's what's going on? Like, you could make more. Why do you work with me? And one of the fishermen looked at me and he only said two words, accidents happen. So that was a turning point for me. That's when I realized that I wasn't just doing a project to save sharks, but I was saving people as well. They tell me about them going overboard and being lost at sea for seven hours. They tell me about one of them being... Yeah, one of them being like severely injured, one of them being stung with a stingray barb. They tell me about having offers for seven thousand Australian dollars, which is a lot of money for them, to smuggle people, like smuggle refugees. Like these are the offers that that come to them and all these stories and all this stuff. So they're happy to make even less with me just because of that safety factor. But now 
they don't. They make a lot better. So if they do a good trip of fishing sharks, so that means they, they get a lot of sharks, they still get 148% income improvement in tourism. If they, if they do a poor trip fishing sharks, which most trips these days are quite poor for them because they're not catching enough, then if they work for me, they make a 593% income improvement Damn. in tourism. Can I work for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! If you start catching sharks, I'll be forced to give you a job. So. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> wow, that is incredible. So I'm assuming with that increase, they can live off of that way longer than they could, right? With fishing sharks, like with an income from fishing sharks. Yeah, and you know, I only run trips for a week, so my condition is they have to be in for the whole month, and that's plenty income for the whole month. And I have ways that I monitor that and ensure that. And I have a list of rules that they need to follow. And if any of they break any of these rules, they no longer work for me. And so far I haven't had to go to much trouble to enforce the rules. They're pretty damn good at the rules. Like, for example, like one tiny thing is, is me trying to get them to put their cigarette butts inside the boat. Cause it's very common to just throw them over the boat. Like that's what they're used to. That's what they've been doing their whole lives. So now they've got like little things they carry around. They have to put their cigarette butts in the thing. So just getting them used to stuff like that is interesting. That's one of my minor rules. And then one of my major rules is when they come on a trip, they have to have the shark fishing equipment on the boat. So everything I do ensures that no one else is filling their job, which is something you need to consider in these communities. They're large families. They're all interconnected. People work together really well. So there was a chance that I would hire someone and then his brother would just go out fishing. So by having the boats and the equipment, I'm ensuring that they're not going fishing. How do I know that the boats that I'm using are fishing boats? Because I met them when they were unloading heaps of sharks at the markets. So it's a very like solid, actual thing that's going on here, which is probably why every day I pinch myself and I'm like, is this actually happening? Like, I've actually managed to do this. Like, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, lots of faith in it. You're such a badass. <laughs> Tell me more. oh man okay so how how did the pandemic reshape the way project hue operates because obviously a big part of your income was those trips so now that there's no trips at the moment like how is that reshaping the way project hue is operating and are these you know boats still on standby are they fishing sharks again like what's happening with that it was good and bad um, at first, because of China kind of shutting down, the price for shark dropped so much that fuel wasn't worth it for fishermen to go out fishing. So I basically got like a break, which was amazing. Throughout this time, to my fishermen that haven't been fishing, I have not been sending money because that's the wrong thing to do because that could go towards fishing licenses. I've been sending food, so just essentials that they need, like rice and oil and various other things and milk for their babies. So sending them food and just keeping them kind of um, – safe i guess and assured through donations like that and we've just been waiting uh some boats are fishing sharks but not all boats my fishermen some of them have gone back some of them haven't and they keep asking me when are you coming back when are we having a job we have other ways to employ them when we're not away so things like our waste management program we pay them the same to go and collect waste and take it to a local recycling facility but because of COVID, most recycling facilities shut down as well. So it has been a really stagnant time, but it's also been really good because it's made us stop and re-examine and think about the next steps. And for me, I just wake up, you know, lay in bed till 3 a.m. thinking about what could go wrong, what can I do, all these different things that I need to try and figure out and, and plan for when I go back. So I've welcomed the break 
and we're going to go back stronger than ever afterwards. And the only thing that I can hope from this pandemic is that it has dented the trade a little because the trade is the reason this is happening. Do you know when can people expect for the trips to start over again, to start again, like the Project Q? Probably 2022. Um, probably not this year because even when I can go back, I probably won't be able to take tourists. And the other thing is I up like foremost and most important is to protect the community from transmissions. So they're quite a small community and there's elderly people there and they're quite isolated. So I'm not going to be bringing tourists there that could potentially be carrying the virus. So it's mainly for their own protection. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, do you know roughly like if you on the, on one of those trips, like how many sharks do you think you're saving per trips? Mm, that's a, that's a good question. Um, that I should know off by heart. Um, so there, there's been research done that, that points out that there's an average of 19 individuals a trip. Now, I don't really listen to that statistic in particular because I've never seen a catch that low, and I'm sure they're counting the trips where they maybe don't catch anything, and that's brought that average down. So I see, I see usually between 30 and 50 sharks, and not just like little sharks, but like big sharks, sometimes breeding size female tiger sharks. So I think if we have a trip, we've always got two boats, and let's just say it's 19 individuals times that by two. And that's a lot of sharks that we save each time. And I think I did the math for how many trips we've done so far with the boats that we've done so far. And it equaled to be somewhere around 400 sharks that we've saved so far. When you think about it, that's a small number, but I did never get into Project HU for numbers. It was about statements. It was about um, more of like, the, the effect that we could have strategically in conservation as opposed to actual numbers. So we're still very much so at the starting point, and that's a good thing to remember too. That number's only going to go up. My boat fleet is only going to increase. The employment is going to increase. Right now we're just spreading the message that this is a good tactic and this is how we should approach the situation and that the shark fishermen are humans that deserve better, and that's the biggest thing that counts for now. You know, I had no idea of the term or terminology of ecotourism before I met you or before I heard of Project Q because I actually heard about Project Q before I, I knew you were that's where I was going right before COVID hit that's where I was going to go on uh, in April and it's I love this I love this so much because I feel as tourist I'll just speak for myself that we're a bunch of hypocrites because here we are wanting to go to these beautiful freaking locations Bali and enjoy the beach and all that stuff without giving a sorry a fuck in the world about those people about the environment there like to me it opened up my eyes about like wow I could actually go do a trip and impact that place and leave it better a little bit better and what if all of us did that and I really hope that everybody that was forced in lockdowns and staying home and unable to travel for over a year now will think of that when we're open to travel again will con consider taking care of the places they visit and actually leave a positive impact. So I think what you're doing is amazing. 
Thank you. And you know what? Like for years and years now, people have been saying to me, oh, you should run shark diving trips. Why don't you run shark diving trips? And it's like, let's get a few things straight. First of all, I don't really like people that dive with sharks. I don't really like humans in general. Like if I want to hang out with anyone, <laughs> it's going to be people that want to save sharks, right? And that's a totally different thing. And second of all, like, what am I doing for sharks if I run trips? There's heaps of places around the world people can go swim with sharks. If I'm going to run trips and put time and effort into that, it has to be to help sharks. And that's what Project Here is doing. It's the only trip in the world where you can book on help sharks by booking on, but you're also going to see sharks being processed. You're going to see shark fins drying. You're going to see the raw and real side of conservation. And that means the people that book onto my trips that I meet are so epic. They're so epic. They're not just going to Bali to dance on tables and go to the beach, even though those are my two favorite things to do in Bali. But they're also going to put their money in to the bad side of things to make it better. And those are the people I want to be on trips with. And the people that have been on my trips are sick. And the kind of people that want to travel somewhere to make a difference that's awesome. And that's, you're totally right. Like if we have the privilege to be flying to another country, why aren't we giving back? What else do you have to do? Like what else better do you have to do? Really? Like drink beer and dance on tables. Like you said, nothing wrong with that, but why not leave an impact? It's, um, it's interesting too, because I think people, some people might, might have the impression that Project Hugh trips are very dark and, and glim, but the majority of the time, a snorkeling reef better than anything I've seen on the Great Barrier Reef. We're surfing local waves with no people on them. We are chilling on the beach, just getting real deep about shark stories. And that's all it, all it is. It's like a cool bunch of people actually having a holiday. And then in the background, the boat you're on just happens to be not fishing sharks this week. And there's something super surreal about freediving a coral reef and looking up at your boat and realizing that the hull of that boat would be filled with dead sharks if it wasn't for you. <laughs> Am I selling it enough? Should I, should I, is, is, is anyone listening? Do you need anything else? Like, should I, <laughs> I will also bring you on my side by the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Already pre-bought fight trips. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're awesome. Okay. So if, if anybody that's listening right now is like, man, this is awesome. I want to help Maddie in some way. I want to help Project Q. I want to be part of it. What can, what can somebody do right now to help you? Where do you need help the most? I know donation is really obviously a big part. That's how you're, you're feeding the, the people over there. But is there any other places where you need help? Obviously, you're like the only one running this thing, you and your partner. Um, where else yeah. do you need help? Oh, my God. I need so much help. Um, I think people really overestimate <laughs> me as a human and think I got my shit together help um there's so many ways people can help I I hate I hate being like you know donate but that is honestly the best thing and the, the also the thing is like when you donate and you buy a bracelet or a shirt or a hat you're not just donating for merch you're starting a conversation when you wear it and that awareness for us is really really good so you're representing us and that that's a, that's a big deal um The other thing is you can go to our website and there is actually a page where you can fill out a form for volunteers. Now, there's no spots, obviously, to come to Indonesia and volunteer on the boat. Like, we don't need help in that way. We need help with people who are good at writing grants. We need help with people who can raise money, who might have solutions to what we're doing. Right now, I have a translator, a filmmaker, and two plumbers that are volunteering for me, making projects happen there. Um, if you've got skills and, like, 
English learning material, if you think you have a way to help with the waste management, if you think you have any skills or any ideas that could help, don't hesitate to reach out. Because the other, the other thing is obviously like once you come on a trip, you stay involved and I make sure of that. And there's lots of people that, you know, one person came on my trip January last year, I'd never met her and now she's on the board of directors for our nonprofit. So there's people that come and, and get really involved and they stay involved. So the best way is to, to come see it and then from there, figure it out. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Listen, I have three more questions for you before the end of this interview. For everybody listening, remember, we are going to do a giveaway. We're going to give details in a second about the giveaway. Uh, but before, there's a few people on your Instagram that ask uh, questions. So the first one is, is the project more focused on saving people or saving sharks? Yeah, great question. Um, I think I've pretty much covered that. Like, obviously, it is saving sharks, but in order to do that, we've got to help the people. Um, a lot of issues in Indonesia, like the plastic waste, the shark fishing, they can be seen as socioeconomic issues. They can be seen as something that can be solved by raising the level of support that the people have, the level of education, the level of opportunities. So by focusing on people, we are focusing on sharks. Um, me personally, I would like to make it more about sharks in the not-so-distant future and just put more restrictions on my fishermen and have more community awareness. But the other thing is, for example, I can't walk up to a fisherman and be like, okay, sharks are super important to the ecosystem, so you need to stop fishing them without being like, hey, um, sharks are super important to the ecosystem, so can you come work with Project Hue instead? You know, you can't, you can't do that because the man who's trying to feed his family does not care about the importance of a shark to an ecosystem. Neither would you if you're in his shoes. So you feed his family and then you've given him a reason to care. So that's kind of where I'm aiming. And then what I thought would happen is, is I'd have to talk people into doing it with me. Now I've got fishermen approaching my fishermen asking if they can be involved. And that is the what? biggest, yeah, that's the best part of this whole thing. So now I just need to kind of facilitate the ability to hire even more of them. So, yeah. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> Other question is, do you plan on addressing the consumer end? Uh, love this question. Yes. Yes, I do. So I'm a big fan of people using what they're good at. Like some people are good at photography. Some people are good at singing. Some people are good at art. Whatever you're good at, use that. Me, I don't really know what I'm good at. I think getting like people that don't like me to like me is one of my skills. <laughs> so, you know, I used my connection to the Indonesians. I spoke a little bit of Arabic with them. You know, I, I spent time with them. I could relate to them on many different ways. And for me, that was where my skill set shines is being able to work with them. Going to China and trying to infiltrate a centuries-old culture that I know nothing about is a different story and I don't trust my skills being able to do so. However, there are amazing people doing that over there and I've been trying to work with them and they're really, really amazing. They're doing great stuff. So supporting them in any way is something that I can do. And then also my access now has given me a lot of information that can help them. So through my relationship with the fishermen, I've got access to a little bit more knowledge about the shark fin trade. And that is definitely something we focus on. It's not something I'm as vocal about because I'm obviously trying to keep it a little bit under wraps, but it is definitely something we focus on. It's definitely something that I've done a lot of work towards and I was meant to be back in China May last year and then good old COVID 
um, the scary pandemic goblin came out and I haven't been able to go anywhere, but it will be in the near future for Project EU for sure. We want to address all aspects of the trade. The last question from one of your Instagram followers uh, who wanted to know, who is the biggest supporter of the organization? I love that question. Um, you know, it's it's kind of nuts, like, how many people have recognized the organization. Like, I, I'm really amazed at the amount of people that have come in to support, and there honestly are no individuals. There are lots of individuals that, that shine and really, really help us, like, financially and mentally and stuff. Um, all the people, I want to thank all the people involved just – spell checking for me or running my website all the people that have made this reality because i certainly did not do it alone but most of all the biggest supporter is you guys that are listening we would not have gotten through the last year if it wasn't for public donations you buy a bracelet a shirt donate five dollars you're making a huge difference you're making it possible and that's why for me it's so important to be transparent about where donations are going and to respect when people are giving money to us to be able to do this so Absolutely. The people involved, you're the biggest supporters. Don't forget to share this episode, guys, because this is also how, you know, you're going to bring more awareness is just by sharing this episode with other people as well. So make sure to share it. We're going to get into the details of this awesome giveaway that Maddie's about to do. But my last question before we get into the giveaway details is what's the legacy you want to leave through Project U? Shit, this is getting deep. I um, know. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you got this, <laughs> man. After this, I got to go to my grandma's, and she's going to ask me why I'm not married yet. And I'm just getting all the hard questions today. And I just—I thought it was going to be an easy Sunday, and like, it's not. Okay, so the legacy. Um, he is hoping. Honestly, I want to. In my wildest dreams, I want to see every single one of the boats not fishing sharks and for there to be some kind of protected, established and marine serving, so like serving to the environment, tourism feature, attraction that the fishermen can maintain, protect and utilise to make their income. And I want to see this for a few reasons. The first is I want to see sharks stop being killed here. But I also want to see the fishermen being liberated from the people that are currently exploiting them for shark fins. And I want to see the world witness what change can be done if you're nice to your enemies. And the legacy I'd want to leave behind, whether it's one boat or 50 boats, is to make sure that someone's life improved a little whilst also improving the lives of the sharks they would have caught. That's amazing. Well, I know I will help you in achieving that legacy. I know thousands of people that will as well. And the people that are listening right now. I love what you do. You're freaking badass. You inspire me. I can't wait to officially meet you because we haven't officially met. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me, huh? oh, one day, one day soon. <laughs> so giveaway. What is a giveaway? What do people have to do? Tell me everything. So I think probably um, for about a week after this podcast first released, we're going to give away some little merchandise gifts uh, to someone who shares this podcast to your Instagram story and just tag Project Here. Help us get the word out. Help us get our Instagram page up there. And then 
will pick from the people that have mentioned us in their story and send you a sweet little gift of merch to say thank you for listening. What's uh, what's the gift? Uh, maybe a sick t-shirt and a hat. I have to I have to I have to go on our website and actually look at what we sell because I haven't been on it for a while. Actually, you don't know this because I didn't tell you this before the interview, but I'm gonna spice things up a bit because I'm a crazy French lady and that's what I do. So you're gonna have the merch and I'm gonna throw in, in there to whoever posts. First of all, you gotta share this podcast episode to the IG story, tag Project EU, follow Project EU. And you're going to get cool merch. Plus, I'm going to throw in, in there a pair of your badass fins. <gasps> no way. Yeah, fucking way. So oh. you guys better freaking post this to Instagram story. Tag Project EU. Follow Project EU on Instagram. That's so nice of you. Yay. I love those fins. So That's awesome. And they are really, really insane. And they're like one of our more higher end kind of bougie merchandise. So epic. Good luck, everyone. Yes. If you haven't seen the fins, go on projectq.com right now. Go check them out and pose the shit out of it. So if you want to win it. All right, dude, I can't wait uh, to hang out with you in, uh, in Lombok very soon. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening and for donating and for your messages of support and hope to see you one day in Lombok.